Hey, this is Will Dukes from Sales Partners, and I connected with Pablo about nine years ago when I was facilitating his team for Leadership Miami, and, and he was probably about 30 pounds heavier at least. But uh, I think that you should connect with Pablo because he has become truly a master at developing quality content that actually builds trust and credibility with your audience. And uh, if you're smart and uh, watch our interview and, and all the ways we go in there, that is so key to getting the results that you want. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you, and build a world-class network. Some episodes will be interviews, some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport, and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want. Now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected. Welcome to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I'm your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And today I'm really, really excited about the guest that we are bringing on. He is known as the sales farmer, and he's the first guy that I met that pierced the veneer of corporate America and became a speaker and a consultant and was making content and putting value out there online. He was also... I don't know what you call it, the coach, the moderator, the adult in the room for one of the most transcendent things that I took a part of, which is a leadership Miami program where I learned some of the greatest lessons that I've you know, really started to apply in business and just a affable, articulate, gregarious, mustached man that I really, really want to get to know, a dynamic speaker, Will Dukes. Welcome, Will. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well, Pablo. And the, uh, the official term that uh, I'm sure the committee would appreciate us using is facilitator. I was facilitator. a facilitator for your team facilitator. back in Leadership Miami. I thought you were going to go with the official term of how I refer to a mustached man, but you know, I, well, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get into your career, your story, the awesome you know stuff that you work with your clients about sales and marketing. I think you're a brilliant, brilliant dude. And I, we're going to get into the Leadership Miami thing because I really want to dive into that. But my thesis on human connection is this idea that the two ways that you quickly build rapport is to provide value to someone's life, which we're going to do a bunch here, yeah. or if you share a vulnerability with somebody, right? Like that. So I, I, I like to connect you to the person that's hanging out with us, this third person in our conversation that's listening in her ear and ask you, you know, what's something that you've struggled with that you might be struggling with right now or you've struggled in the past? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the list is rather, rather long and, and we could go deep and personal and I've got 
I'm very happy to say I've got some very select groups of folks that I share kind of those deep, dark vulnerabilities with. Yeah. That's uh, probably aren't appropriate for airing out in public. But I think one of the, the, one that kind of bridges the gap between you know, business and personal. And I, and I know it was a struggle for a lot of people, but I, like, I've really started digging into it a lot and kind of the underlying issues is, is a lot uh, around the, the time management that I have. And more so with that, it, letting go of stuff. So, you know, it's new in the year. I'm always doing continuing education myself. I've, you know, enrolled in probably the, yeah, probably the most expensive like coaching, mentorship, learning program that I've ever done. And it's really valuable. There's some great dynamics. There's some things I, you know, I think could be improved about it, but man, it's really brought up a, a lot of these issues that I have to, to deal with. And, you know, a lot of those deal kind of around perfectionism, delegation of certain things, just kind of having that freedom to kind of let go. And I think it's like, you know, I've heard several people, but probably Gary Vee most recently, it's like, look, if they can get it 80% as good as you, let it go, let it go. And so that's something that that I've really kind of always struggled with, but now it's gotten to that that point where, you know, it's really becoming the bottleneck in my business. You know, we're past kind of the survival stage and just just scrapping through. 2020 was the the best year I ever had, and you know that's saying a lot. And it's just, you know, things are getting a, a lot better. But I've got two, you know, young kids, seven and nine, and you know my my wife, and and that those relationships are paramount over everything. Like I, I told one of the mentors, like, look, you tell me I've got to do like 20 hours of work to implement all this stuff. It's not going to happen because I'm not sacrificing the the family relationships, but I know I still got to put in that work plus just the, the normal business operations and handle all of my clients and their issues. I was just editing some emails for a client just before we got on to do this as well. So it's always that work-life balance, keeping priorities in line, but just learning that you know my assistant is more capable than I often maybe give her credit for. And, and that's that's my issue as the the leader. And so kind of digging down and just understanding where, you know, where's that perfectionism really come from? What am I really afraid of? Or what, you know, what's happened in the past, that, past that's kind of giving me this lie that I'm holding on to? So what tools are you using to dig for that? Like, are you like seeing some therapy? Are you journaling? How, how are you trying to get to the bottom of that? So actually one of the most profound processes that I've gone through with that, because I, you know, like my wife and I, we've done you know, various forms of counseling over the years. We've always been open to, to getting help in the, in the personal relationship. I've done a lot of this mentoring and coaching and you know, awareness and clearing and, and, and all these kind of things. But the most profound was uh, a process that I, I started going through that our church offered. And, you know, at first it sound, I, I've told them they needed to, to rebrand it because they originally called it the recovery ministry of the church. And it was basically a group that, that folks go to and kind of like AA, but it could be for, for anything that you might be struggling with. And so I, I literally showed up and say like, hey, I'm bad about procrastination and perfectionism. And you know, you've got guys that are struggling with alcohol or substance abuse or, or pornography or, or you know, all these other things that you'd normally think are more related there. But then there's a lot of, of, of guys just saying like, look, I don't know how to manage this. It's becoming unmanageable. And so 
still working through that problem. Now I'm in a, in a small group of, of five guys and we meet once a week and there is a, a process to, to kind of go through it. And, you know, we use like this tree analogy that, uh, you know, I've seen before, but it's really like getting down into it and say like, all right, you've got these fruits out of here that are these, these behaviors that, you know, maybe aren't as productive or you don't really like, but you know, those are, you can't just lop off the branches because they just grow back or they grow off in some other direction. So, you know, what's the, what's the trunk? What are the emotions that you're feeling? And so that's like kind of a, a new thing, like really what is that emotion and being able to identify that. And those emotions come from beliefs and experiences that you you know had in the past, could be recently, could be childhood, whatever. And, and that, that environment that, that was around those that kind of gave you that experience, but then you, you, you told yourself a story, right? You, you've made some kind of, uh, of agreement with yourself to prevent that. And so really just kind of like identifying some of those pivotal moments that, you know, we can all think back into our childhood and say, yeah, this was a really great thing that happened. But yeah, I, I remember this and I don't know why I remember it, but it's very, like, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Well, did that anchor some kind of belief into you that may be turning into limiting emotions today or like when something happens today and it, it just triggers you and you're like, I really blew that out of proportion or man, I really dealt like that in a very juvenile way. Well, maybe up in all your neurological wiring and that's actually anchored to something that happened when you were juvenile or a child or something that that happened in the past that's just kind of refreshing all those same kind of connections. So just kind of going through that, that's probably a more long-winded answer than, than you're looking for. But that's that's been the process for me. And and really, when we say the tools, like I mentioned groups, I've got that, that group at, at church. I've got another group of guys that are all in business in Miami that we talk more about business and some family stuff as well. But having that, that group, I mean, who you choose to hang around with is absolutely, absolutely vital. And uh, a lot of the success I've had in the last few years have come from really plugging into uh, to those kind of networks and environments. I love it, man. I love it. Because as you know, this is really what I'm passionate about. It's where we overlap completely, right? Like this whole idea of having that tribe around you being the facilitator of, of, of the good things that you need and the mentorship at scale and, and stuff like that, man. Very cool. So it sounds like it's a a deliberate group, like a support group that has a framework around it that allows you to kind of like continue anchor to an analogy and then analyze things based on a Rosetta Stone of sorts of of, of processing emotions, right? Yeah. And just that process of being able to to identify emotions, I think is probably the biggest thing. If anybody, you know, like it's, this is it's stereotypically a little bit more for, for guys, you know, like you ask a guy like, oh, how are you feeling? And it's like, oh, I'm tired or I'm hungry, or I'm horny, or something. And it's like, no, those are sensations in your body. But like, what are you feeling? Like, are you feeling something around shame? Are you feeling happiness? Are you feeling glad? Are you feeling, you know, fear of some sort and kind of breaking that stuff down? You know, that's been, you know, revelational, I guess, for me. Awesome, man. Very cool. How'd, real quick, how'd you get to that church group? Did your wife find that and say, come check this out? Did you just kind of get a flyer about it while at church? No, well, I mean, it's a flyer from the stage, I guess. So they, you know, I, I'd kind of like heard it, you know, knows it goes, all right, it goes along, but like one Sunday every year, they call it the, uh, the regroup Sunday and, and they'll, they'll get up and kind of talk about 
that process. And so actually my, I started it before my, my wife and then like COVID and other things happened and it got delayed and, and she was going through it, but she, she actually finished the process before me. And that, that's been really the foundation for, uh, for a lot of the stuff that that's been really great in our marriage. And over the last four months or so, we've done a lot of work internally too, yeah. and just on us and the tools that we got there for being able to, to process and to communicate have been a really foundational. Love it, dude. And my, you know, my origin story of really understanding the value of community came from my church as well, even though I'm not a very devout, organized religion kind of going guy, man. So I, I love how that kind of comes full circle here. But let's pivot here, man. You are, can you describe what you do, Will? So the the basic description or how I might introduce myself at a, uh, a networking event is I say, I, I help people grow their businesses without wasting a ton of money on marketing. Love it, man. That's That's awesome. The structure of your business, you are a consultant, a speaker, you, you you make content, right? Like you're the first guy that I saw in, this is probably around 2012 that was making a living putting stuff out like yeah. this, right? So like you were very early on in this model that I think many people have gravitated towards with the proliferation of social media and whatnot. Can you give me a little bit of background of your career and how you got to that point and what you saw that made you shift into this kind of mission? And then we'll kind of talk about some of the genius that you got to offer. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it can kind of be a long convoluted story. So I'll try to give you the reader's digest version. Cool. So I, I am a uh, native Floridian seventh generation. My family moved into a, a, little area, didn't even have a, a, a town. So now there's a, a dot on the map called Dukes, Florida, just north of Gainesville. And uh, they moved there in 1853. So small rural area, county has no four lane roads, only four traffic lights, four maximum security prisons. I grew up on a, on a farm there and was always good in, in, in science and math and uh, you know, communication and other things. Had some great opportunities for leadership development in the uh, the Future Farmers of America, which is one of the the oldest leadership development organizations in the country. And I thought I was going to be a a geneticist in high school, but then I had an opportunity to basically be a student ambassador. Took a year off college after graduation for there, and man, we got all kinds of crazy training that I didn't fully appreciate at the time. Like it was it was a cool experience, but like we had Franklin Covey trainers come and spend a week with our team, and I'm like, man, that would have been like. 50 grand if they, if we'd had, you know, uh, a lot. And just the ability to to travel internationally, got to go to Germany, got to go to Costa Rica, got to to speak on stage in front of 10,000 people, you know, just a a lot of really crazy experiences for an 18, 19 year old. And what it really showed me is one, I kind of had a, a gift for education. That's probably what really kind of unveiled this core identity that I have right now as an educator. And so I said, you know what? I'm still going to going to go and, and study the the science, but I, I need to be a teacher. And so I switched my major from microbiology and I became an agriculture education and communication major at the University of Florida. Still got my minor in molecular biology and that together allowed me to teach plant biotechnology. And so right out of college, I moved to, to Miami. There was a new school, Ferguson High School opened up way out on the west end of the county in West Kendall. And I opened that program up there in the first year. The school was really kind of fully functional and open and built that up. 
you know, taught some veterinary assisting, grew that program, you know, as, as this elective type program and, and brought in another teacher. And so it had expanded. And, you know, I never intended to be like the 30 year veteran teacher. My thought was, all right, I'm going to go teach maybe, you know, five, seven years or so. And then I'll go back and get my, my PhD and then I'll go do the, the, the science thing. But along that path, I ended up getting introduced to, you know, a couple of companies that kind of did you know, education and training. We were talking about, you know, people on the, the, the early end. So kind of in like the Tony Robbins kind of, of yeah. realm, but I got introduced to this one guy named Blair Singer. And at one of the conferences I was at, he made this comment that, you know, teachers have to be leaders and leaders have to be teachers and the highest form of sales is education. And so that obviously resonated with me. And so I really kind of dug into a lot of his material and he became one of uh, my, my early mentors and then, you know, still as a teacher, you know, I, and it was going like spring break and summers and stuff like that. Like I was flying around the country going to these different things. And I ended up out in Arizona and we had to do these modeling exercises where we do like monologues from movies or from great speeches. And I'd had to do this a couple of times. And there at that, that one in Arizona, I had to do this clip that Ben Affleck did in Boiler Room, where he's like, there's no such thing as a no sales call. Yeah. And and, and I knocked it out of the park, really. And he didn't have anything, you know, constructive to say other than just like, all right, do it bigger, do it bigger and like lead the whole audience. And they were branching out and, and starting a, a franchise of what would become sales partners or what, what was kind of established there. And I remember kind of sitting down and hearing about this and this British guy sitting next to me, he's like, oh, you were the boiler room guy. You should totally do this. This would be great for you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you know, yeah, maybe someday that's something that I, that I could see myself doing. And, you know, as the as the evening went on, he's just like, no, you need to stay for this training and you do all this stuff. And I'm like, look, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't I don't have the, the, the money available. I'm going to teach your salary. He's like, oh, just find a sponsor. And I'm like, it starts tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you can figure it out. And so at the end, it was like we were about to, to break and go away. I'm like, well, I've been at this sales training for the last two days. So I just turned to him and like, well, why don't you sponsor me to stay? And he did. And he became the you know, kind of the initial investor that, that got the business off of the, the ground. So we had a, about a year of due diligence. During that year, I ended up becoming the teacher of the year for the, the school and ended up becoming our regional teacher of the year in, in Miami-Dade uh, County Public Schools. But that was an awesome experience and really a lot of great validation for me. But uh, you know, I had done what I had set out to do and the program was established. I mean, I was going nuts. I had like eight full classes and six different preparations. We had, I think over five, what? No, over 300 kids in the program or something like that. And so it was well-established. And so I, I felt like it was it was time to, to go do something else. And so now I am here in Miami. My wife had followed me down from college. She had gotten her master's at FIU. She was now working for South Miami Hospital. So it wasn't like we could just pack up and move somewhere else. And so I had to, to plug into the, the Miami business community because my, my network was basically just teachers and educators. Yeah. So joined uh, a couple of different organizations, Greater Miami Chamber being one of them and a good friend that, that you, you'd also uh, know, John Ross. He's like, hey, I'm doing this leadership Miami program. I think you should do it too. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's do it. And uh, so we went in and I think it was, uh, yeah, that was just the, the year before you. Yeah. And uh, so we went through that program 
you know, my, my team you know, really came to, together and you know, we were able to do a, a great thing down in Homestead with the Ark of South Florida that works with children with, with disabilities. And uh, I still have that video we put together somewhere that uh, still makes people cry when, when we show the impact that we were able to have. But then just, you know, the program, you know, kind of as you alluded to, just had a really such a foundational type of experience with me that I, I stayed plugged into it. I became a facilitator the next year, was happy to, to be with you all. Also, a you know, help, help facilitate a, uh, another first place team That's right. in, the, in the program and, and be awesome there. But, you know, through that whole process, I was, you know, I, I didn't come out with this huge market for, for, for marketing or, or really do all these things. Like I knew communication, I knew strategic communication, I knew how to people to, to, to lead people from one place mentally to, to another as an educator. But when it got down to all the tactics and everything else, man, like, you know, I, I had like 50 grand that I, I could go invest over those first couple of years. And, and really a lot of that, it wasn't maybe all wasted, but uh, I couldn't necessarily tell what was coming from where. And it was just try this, try that, try this. And nothing was really working. But ultimately what, what worked was networking, building relationships, adding value to other people, keeping up with those relationships and just con- continuing to stay, stay present. And so through that and working with a lot of clients, seeing the, the struggles that they work on on a daily basis, you know, a couple of years ago, one of my mentors said to me, he's like, you need to just like boil all this down to something that you already know and can relate. And I'm like, all right, well, what do I really know? So I, well, I know like farming and I know teaching and, and all these things. And, and really when I got to looking at it, one of the, the founders of one of the organizations that I was involved with would say that you know, networking was a lot like farming rather than hunting. And a lot of people go out and are just hunting for, for new business, but you really have to farm these relationships. And really when I looked at everything, it's like, look, it's not just networking. That's, that's everything that we're doing today. Like even the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, wasn't this always on a, a one call close. Like you watch some of the other movies and things and like they had guys that would call and just kind of initiate contact, and just plant a little seed. And then they would send some information and kind of cultivate that up. And, you know, it was a very short sales cycle for them, but still it was this relationship building process, whether it was good used for good or evil was another question, but it was still in that same kind of process. And so now when I work with folks, it is really about helping them to understand the strategy of their sales and marketing. And when I say, you know, stop wasting your marketing budget, it's because a lot of people are still doing the same stuff that I used to do. And like, oh, they, they chase, you know, the, the next shiny little thing and like, oh, let me get this piece of software. It'll help. But then they, they can't implement it. Right. Or they'll go and get somebody to, to do marketing and stuff for them, but they haven't given them any direction. There's no strategy to it. And so people are just like, oh, we'll get you on first page of Google or let's go do social media or let's go do a print ad or whatever it is. And so they may generate leads, but then they're not good quality leads. So that's a waste. And then even if they do have somebody that's doing solid stuff and generating that, or they have a good idea around their message and their offer and the value that they're bringing, who their target audience is, if they generate those leads, they could be served to them on a silver platter and be the best leads in the world. But if they don't have the right processes to convert those leads into clients and customers, then they still don't get any return. And so that's kind of how everything has come full circle. I still use my, my science background and being able to analyze data and being able to, you know, give good recommendations to, to folks. But, but ultimately it's about primarily small businesses and a lot of local service area businesses being able to 
he really kind of teach their audience about the value that they can bring so that, <clears throat> excuse me, so that they can continue to bring that value. And, and ultimately, you know, what we're all about is this inter- interdependent society. If everybody knows how to go out, add value, take care of themselves, their families, their communities, then, then ultimately we can all focus on the, 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 the big problems that are out there from a much stronger position. So there's the, that's just the Reader's Digest version. If you want the long version, we'll have to schedule another interview. I'm in for another interview, man, because I want to dive into that. Like, number one, all you got to tell me is that you moved from Dukes, Florida to Miami and you made it. And I'm just like, all right, you're a genius in being able to, <laughs> you know, like in being able to evolve, in being able to transcend a message from one to another. I, I look at you as, I think context is everything, right? Like, and the more context you can thrive in and the more context you can provide, the better you're going to do in life, right? Yeah. Like, and I see you as somebody that's really good at that. Just your reframing of farming into the Wolf of Wall Street methodology is a beautiful exercise in contextualization. And I think you're really, really good at it, man. Well, you remember, you may, I don't know if you're recalling, but that was that context versus content idea was one of the things that that was very foundational to me that I, I learned from Blair early on and several other mentors. I've got a guy named Kelly Ritchie now, but that's one of the things that I brought into my leadership Miami team. And one of the things that I remember I really tried to impose on you all in your team as a facilitator is you, you know, don't focus on the content. It's not just about the project. It's not just about all these numbers. It's about the context of what you're actually getting out of this experience. And that's the main focus. And then on through the process, as I stay involved, like it, all up until I was the, the chair of the, the whole program and kind of doing the, the, the leadership training inside of the, the program, I think class, I don't remember what class, 38, I think, you know, I was the, the chair there. I mean, it's context over the, the content. Honestly, dude, I don't remember that, but it makes perfect sense. You know, you I'm know, I'm going to take credit for it. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Listen, you know what I do remember, Will, is us being in a room, looking at you and being like, well, you won last year. Tell us how to do it. And you being very tactically quiet, right? And like you, what my big takeaway from Leadership Miami, and to give context to our friend that's part of this conversation, is this bit of like a master's program in civic engagement that is structured around eight to nine weeks. I don't remember where each Saturday we'd spend like, you know, the first Saturday of the month, we'd spend a full day learning about something in the context of civic engagement from economic development, infrastructure, education, politics, sports, arts, and culture, you know, stuff like that. But the real meat of it, right? The real learning lesson to me was the fact that you put 15 people who self-selected as leaders in a room and said, in nine months, you need to figure out a cause that you want to support, how you're going to support it, design a project, fundraise, execute the project and make a difference. (laughs) Right. And we weren't allowed to establish a hierarchy. I look back at it as a, you know, dive into the deep end of consensus-based decision-making, although I didn't realize it at that point. Right. And, And leading without a title. And I find it fascinating, man. But what I do remember that I very vividly think about is we started with the why and the what, right? Like, what do you care about? It it felt very much like a core values exercise of starting a business. So can you tell me from your perspective, can, can, can you describe the formation that you try to put into these teams and how you kind of like structure this idea of starting and ending in nine months, 
people don't know what they're getting into and how you get the most out of people. Yeah. So, you know, just back to, back to that analogy of context, you know, versus content, you know, what you were describing there, that, that why exercise, you know, it's, it's, you know, getting old, I just turned 40. So, you know, my memory's starting to, to, to fade a little bit, but that original process, you know, the, the why versus the what, you know, you've got 15 people, everybody comes with things that they're passionate about. And some, some, you know, folks on and other scales might be completely diametrically opposed, but that first process was just like, let's put it all out there. You know, what are things that, that matter to you? What are, are, are the causes that are important? And if I, if I remember correctly, it might've been with your team, might've been some others, but I know I'd seen it done where, you know, we just kind of like put it up on flip charts yeah. and we had sticky notes and like, let's put some different things up there. And, you know, at first it was brainstorming, but then we got to talking a little bit about, you know, the, the practicality of this, because I kind of like you alluded to this project had to be kind of self-contained during that year. It wasn't like we're establishing a foundation that will fundraise anything because, at the end of the, the program, you know, different things can, can happen, but most of the times the teams kind of disperse and go in their own ways, but did you make an impact in that time? So from that, people kind of narrowed it down and said, all right, here's some things that we could all get behind and then kind of did the, the, the groundwork. Let's go do some research. Let's see what the needs are in these organizations, who has a need that we could kind of rally behind to, to develop some type of, of program or a process some type of activity throughout this this uh, year, the leadership mining program that that you could make a difference for, and then once the the team had come together and said yes, that's the that's the one that we think we can be most effective with, we can make the biggest impact on. Then it all got down into to implementation, and I've seen a lot of teams do it in different ways, and some folks would kind of break up and say, all right, we're going to have these these major events and these will be our fundraisers. These will be our service. These will be different things and kind of broke up into committees and, and people kind of headed and kind of spearheaded and planned those things. And everybody would come together around them. Other folks, it was a little bit more fluid, but, uh, but all the, you know, all the projects that I've seen that have had the, the, the really the most significant impact generally followed that same kind of process. There was that phase where it wasn't just, all right, we're going to get in and whoever's got the loudest voice and the strongest personality is going to, to dominate. There's definitely been teams that have been like that. And unfortunately, those teams, uh, a lot of times people don't even last through those, the program in those teams. But the, the ones where, you know, as you said, there was at, at least some level of, of consensus. Everybody had a voice. Everybody had an opportunity to come in and contribute and in a way that they could add value the most. Some people were a little bit more connected. Some people had certain skill sets. Some, you know, some people you know, understood certain processes a little better than, than, than others. And so that's where they would go and contribute because everybody was still a full-time employee and generally in very demanding types of jobs. Yeah. So with that very small amount of time that, that you had to, that, to, that you had to contribute, how could you make the biggest impact? And starting with that solid foundation, keeping the focus on the context of why are we all here? And then also just the frequency of interaction. And uh, I remember my team, one of the guys lived in Met 3 downtown. And so every Monday night we would come together. And this was obviously before Zoom and everything else. You know, conference calls didn't really do it for us. But uh, so we'd get together and there'd be beer and wine and we would sit down and then we would break off and go to different areas. And as we got closer to events, some folks might you know, kind of get in their small committee to, to do this. But 
we all stayed very connected and still a lot of folks that's uh, that were on that team with me are, are folks that I still chat with. I'm still liking their stuff, sending birthday messages to, you know, giving them condolences. You know, we weep with those who weep. So they say, and we're, we're cheerful with those who are cheerful. And so that that's been a, a really formational process, but that those are the kinds of things that I've seen over the years that I was involved that were, that were, you know, fairly continuous through the the teams that, that really got the most out of it. Dude, it's so, I love you describing that because it really just describes, it describes my business methodology, right? Like this idea that if you can figure out what you're trying to accomplish and why it's important to you, you can understand, if you can create a scenario where the people with value to offer are enabled to provide that value within the accomplishment of that mission and then provide a regular source of interaction for people to build up that rapport. It's right. kind of the answer to everything, right? Like, yeah. so look, so you're bringing up something else that I had almost forgotten about, right? Like I was going to ask you about how, cause you started with this. I remember our first meeting was like, all right, before we know what we're doing, let's set some ground rules of like, what's cool and what's not cool here. Like, like oh, yeah. the core values, right? That was huge for me now looking back and, and how I started my business now as well. But you're bringing back some memories of dude, two to three meetings a week, just like meeting with people for two to three hours a night of just kind of like hammering through it and, and just getting to know each other and spending that time. And I remember looking back and thinking, I'm never doing this again. I cannot believe Will just signed up for round two of this. Like what, what kept you once you did it one time and you're, you know, I get the doing it one time and be like, wow, I never thought this was achievable. Yeah. What made you want to become a facilitator and, and then, you know, continue with that program, given that at this time you have kids, you have a business, you're doing all this stuff. And you're really showing up to a room to say as little as possible because you're kind of like facilitating us into learning ourselves. Yeah. What kept you coming back to that? Man? Well, so one, I didn't stay a facilitator. Some people, that's what they, you know, they they kind of stay in the engagement in in that way. I guess because I you know been on a, a you know a, a quote unquote winning team and facilitated a team. They actually asked me to to be the chair of the facilitator team cool. the next year, and so one you know, I, I love the program and it was just well in line with my mission. And I was always looking for, for some kind of, of service. And so that was it. Like, you know, where, where else can you go and say, yeah, I, I impacted a program that had, you know, eight or nine or 10 major projects going on in the city at any one time and, and helped to move that. So that was a, a big way to leverage impact of, of service. It was also my own personal development because I always learned as much out of that process as I ever gave back. And two, just kind of like there was always that level up, right? So there was always that that opportunity for advancement. So like after seven years, I was the chair of the program and really got to kind of direct and then kind of leave my imprint on the, the program and kind of put in things that I think thought were important as well. So, you know, there was definitely like Adam Grant's book, Give or Take. And, you know, really the secret is to give, be otherish in your giving, like give in ways that also benefit you. So obviously there was massive benefit to me as well. And just being able to expand my network and being able to, to develop these relationships with people who have also risen up and have become real leaders in the, the community and the state and beyond and to expand that. But 
at the same time, I knew that I was giving and making a big impact on others. And ultimately, business stuff aside, you know, that's really what, what we're all about. You know, we, we talk about one of our core values in my business now is adding value. And, you know, it's a lot of people conflate profitability with adding value. And while the two are related, profitability is just an indicator of value that's being added. It's not the actual value. The value is much bigger than that. And one of the analogies is very, the thing that actually, that actually kind of sold me into taking a, a, a change. And it's an analogy that this guy, Bugminster Fuller came up with, and it's about the honeybee. And so we all know that, that honeybees go out and they, they seek flowers. And I ask rooms this all the time. It's like, all right, so what are, what are the bees trying to, to do when they go out to, to flowers every morning? People's like, oh, they're, they're trying to, to pollinate the flowers. I'm like, no, the bees have no idea that they're trying to you know, pollinate flowers. The bees are just going to gather nectar so they can go back and make honey. They're honey bees. But the greatest value, both economically and in a grander sense, is the fact that the bees pollinate the flowers. Apiculturists, beekeepers, they make most of their money, not from sales of honey, but actually from moving those hives around and pollinating crops. And likewise, you know, if the bees weren't there to, to pollinate, then, you know, we'd all starve as everybody learned from watching the, the, the bee movie, if not, not before then, that's the greatest value. And so said, Fuller said, like, we're, we're kind of like the bees and people go out and instead of making honey, we're out to make money. And hopefully the ripple effects of us going out to make money is that we're adding value to the marketplace. But as we all know, and we, we, we've interacted with folks that unfortunately, the, the ripple effect goes to the other side and, you know, they're really taking value. They're, they're just creating a bunch of mess in the marketplace. And it's, it, that's what we want to avoid. So Fuller said, like, we're conscious, we're aware, we can see the value that we're creating. So why don't we just focus on the value and believe that the ripple effects of chasing that value will actually bring us the money that we, we need and deserve. And so for us, the bottom line is not profitability. The bottom line is, is value. Profit is a tool. Profit allows us to be sustainable, to, to keep growing, to expand, to do these other things. But it's ultimately about adding the most amount of value to the most number of people possible. I love it, man. I love it, dude. That is really well explained. And I love that honeybee analogy of, in a way to explain the benefit of just networking through relationship building instead of trying to close sales all the time, right? Like that, the greatest value is the pollination. It's not the honey that you're making by spraying business cards in people's faces, it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> it's the worst thing ever, man. So, all right, man. Well, bring me back now to your business, right? So you you spent all this time in the trenches, essentially watching people create these like nine-month startups and having success, right? So when you walk into a business that's in chaos, can you tell me, you said you learned all these lessons from being in the room. Can you give me some kind of like examples of of lessons of being in that room where people didn't really know what they want and kind of knew what goal they wanted to achieve and how you bring it together when you when you bring in a client that is like, I'm thinking about doing LinkedIn sales navigator and some SEO, but my website says that I sell pigs, but really I'm a truck farmer, right? So a lot of these things I, I've learned and one of my mentors always says like everything you are, everything you need is already there. And and it just kind of takes time to to understand that. And you know, definitely being a facilitator, you're working with all these clients in the past, helping to solve different types of problems has has brought down you know, it's really kind of come down to, to this, this process that we follow right now. And so generally speaking, when we bring on a, a new client, 
you know, they're, they're uncertain about their marketing campaign. They're afraid of wasting money or they feel like they already are. Their marketing is not being effective or they know their sales process isn't really effective. It's just all a mess, right? And so it's coming back in. And, and like you said, like starting with the end in mind, Stephen Covey, right? And, you know, what is it that you really want? Why are you even doing this? You know, why, you know, what are your goals? And people will say, oh, our goal is to, to increase by this much or to add this. Like, all right, why? What is that going to mean for you? Why, how's that going to change things? You know, is it, is it really enough to keep you motivated? Because maybe it's not, right? And so we got to get people clear on that, get them realistic in their goals, right? So people are like, oh, you know, I want to, you know, grow my business. I had, had one client earlier this year. She had a, uh, a lady that, that came on. It's like, we need to grow the internet leads by so-and-so. And I'm like, that's a 300% increase in one year. And just because you increase the cold leads off the internet by 300% doesn't mean that you're going to have a 300% increase in every other step in the conversion process. Like this just doesn't work. So we get them real clear on the, the goals there. And then it, it goes back to that farming analogy. So on the farm, it was always, you know, first we lay out a plan. What are we going to plant? Where are we going to plant it? Then we had to prepare the soil in accordance with that particular crop. And then we had to actually plant the seeds. And then we had to cultivate it in the right ways, continue to nurture it, protect it. And then eventually it'd be ready for harvest. And then after the harvest, then you have to propagate that into the next crop and you have to leave some time for the land to lay fallow, right? So that's this whole big cycle and it happens year after year. So people call that the sales cycle. I call it the harvest cycle when we apply it down into business, right? So now we're, we're looking at and say, all right, what are you trying to sell here? All right, well, who are you trying to sell it to? And we, we got to get really specific on that. And so I'm very big on like parsing that down. It's like, no, no, no. Just because you're selling to these types of businesses doesn't mean that they're, they're all the same. Or people will come in and say, well, I, I sell all these, but it's all the same process to me. Well, just because it's the same process to you doesn't mean it's the same process to them. They're all experiencing their problem in a very unique way. So we have to match you know, the value that you're providing to that particular demographic and kind of figure out, all right, what is your value proposition? How are you introducing that to those folks? Then after we do that, then we move to that prepare stage. So instead of, you know, tilling the soil and conditioning it, it's, it's more about building trust and credibility. So I am really big on, on content. I don't write content or anything like that for my clients, but I help them find people that can, can plug in and be those providers. But, you know, what kind of content are you putting out there? that builds that trust and that shows the empathy, the shared experience, the shared pain, the shared belief systems that build that trust. And then the, the credibility from your track record, credentials, whatever it is, you got to put that out there. And so now you, you've kind of gotten people into to this sphere of, of, of awareness where they're kind of trusting you. Well, now you can make an offer, make us very clear value of offer and, and there's an ask and an exchange and pick the right channels that that's going to go through. And every seed you plant is not going to germinate. Like every offer you make isn't going to be accepted. Is People aren't going to follow it. But those that do, now you have to have a good process to cultivate. And some people have, like I said earlier, very, very short sales cycles. Some people have very, very long sales cycles. Whatever that cycle is for what you're selling, you just have to understand how am I going to have that frequency of interaction, just like going out and you know, irrigate, you provide a little fertilizer, continue adding value, but you also have to protect against the, the pests that are out there, right? Your competition. So you have to differentiate from them. You have to protect your reputation so it doesn't get diseased. And if you do all these things, then eventually they're going to be that, that, that point of action. And, you know, I, I, I use this analogy of, of tomatoes in particular, right? Because everybody can tell when a tomato is ripe, like it turns red. 
And so many people try to go out and pick green tomatoes, right? They're trying to force the sale. If you've ever bitten into a green tomato, it's not nearly as good as one that's well ripened on the vine. So we're constantly checking in and, and understanding kind of those signs and signals, but then we have to be able to, to go and, and harvest in the right way, protect that, keep it uh, you know, a valued relationship so that we can go and get the value, deliver the value. And then you know there are always seeds and how are we going to propagate that now into that next sale or a repeat sale or into referrals back into other clients. And so once we kind of map out that whole strategy, really from soup to nuts, from you know what are we selling, who are we selling it to, to that whole process of what are we going to put in place to be able to get the, the highest quality and quantity of sales that we can at the end, then it's all about implementation and execution. And so people are at various levels with that. Some people need more help in one area than the other, but that's that's why we're consultants, right? So that's why we, we go in and get one-to-one and really figure out where people are, are at. And so we may do some, some kind of more generalized training around that or kind of you know coaching type programs. In the future, look for some online education from us coming out this year that's, uh, that will kind of help people at a, at a different level that maybe aren't ready for that, that one-to-one. But that's, that's the process. Those are the, the issues and the problems and just kind of helping sure that people are delivering the right message to the right audience, through the right channels, with the right cultivation processes and the right processes to close at the end. You can look forward to, in the future, seeing a piece of micro content. That's why you should sell like a farmer, which is going to break out that whole little piece right there. I really like that, man. Really well done. You, you brought up something that I, I wanted to get into with you, which is being big on content, right? Like I've said it a couple of times, you're one of the first guys I saw putting out video content on LinkedIn. Why are you big on content? Well, I mean, it just goes, it goes back to that, that same point. And I can relate it back to, to this analogy. Like you can just walk out into the field and, and our ancestors used to do it. They would just kind of walk out and they have a bag of seed and they just cast the seed out. And then some of those would germinate. But then when they realize that, hey, you know what, if we, if we break this ground up and we, we loosen it up and create a more fertile environment and we're more deliberate about where we plant, we can kind of control that. We can nurture these things a little bit better. And we're going to get a better yield at the end. And so, you know, tilling the soil, I spent many hours growing up on a tractor, just tilling the ground. And that in and of itself is not productive, right? Nothing's going to grow out of that. But by doing that up front, you get a much bigger yield at the end. And so a lot of the content that we're putting out that that we, we talk about kind of creating, it does just that. Like it opens people up. It gets more people kind of into your, your, the realm of awareness around you and builds that trust. And from that trust, so many more people are going to take those actions that can, can move on rather than shutting them off. Cause I mean, like how many times have you logged into LinkedIn or Facebook lately? And like somebody's shooting you a message or a friend request. And then like five seconds later, there's a, so-and-so has invited you to like this page. And I'm like, no, or, you know, on, on LinkedIn, somebody's like, Thanks so much for connecting. Here's everything that we do. Like, when can we get on a call together? No. And so that's an opportunity that was lost. Whereas if they had just put a little bit, even if it was automated, they could have still put a little bit of effort into nurturing that relationship and and building that through some other channels. Yeah, I love it, man. It's like our boy Gary V says, right? It's like you gotta you gotta date before you before you go to bed with somebody, right? You gotta romance somebody. And I think content is uh it's funny, man. I I use this at when I'm, you know, when I'm selling what I sell to people, I'm talking about how, you know, turning your webinar into a show and then repurposing it is kind of like taking one seed 
planting it in 15 different pots and putting it in six different ecosystems where they can all thrive by itself under different conditions and, and different ways to do it. I never realized how aligned we were on that message, but I like it, man. Are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, let's let's do it. Lightning round, ready? What's your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what is your order? Uh, oh, hard to nail down a a favorite... You know, so I'm in Orlando right now. So if I if I just had to take my wife, somebody, I, we're members of the Citrus Club. They've got a great formal dining room there. But anywhere I go, just find me the, like the best steakhouse in town. Order me like a, a 20 ounce uh, bone in ribeye, as rare as legally possible. And you know, if you need to throw something on the side, that that's probably all right. But uh, but that's my go to. Bloody bone in ribeye. I like your style, my friend. What content are you most into right now? This can be what book are you reading? It could be like what podcast are you religiously subscribed to? It could be what person you're following the closest or what your Netflix and chill series do yours. Uh, yeah. So we just finished Shit's Creek. Uh, I love Shit's Creek. On Netflix. Like, so good. You know, dude. So yeah. good. But my wife got, she watched it a second time. But, you know, I, other than that, like that's why it took us so long because I, I don't really have a lot of time to, to watch TV, but that that business group I mentioned, we a subset of we have a book club. So the book that I'm in right now, and you might need to, to bleep this out, but uh, is uh, "Unfuck Yourself" by uh, Gary John Bishop. I think that's his name, or I might be switching names up mm-hmm. uh, there. And so that's a, a good book, and that happens to be like well aligned with that other process that I was talking about in the beginning there. And then the the, the videos has really been kind of consumed with that 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 training program, and just kind of in there the other other free moments. And then other than that, I'm just like you know, working on the deck out in the back or going, taking my kids to karate or something like that. Cool, man. What's something that you were sure about in your twenties that you no longer believe? Ooh, sure about in my twenties. I think, you know, probably as I look back over a lot of, and and still have like my former students that, you know, were teenagers that are now all in their late twenties and stuff. And I kind of look back at them. I, I realized that I had some of the same 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 things going on in terms of like, you know, just the view on the world, politics, how things are supposed to be. And that's probably the thing that the simplest way to describe it would be that, you know, in your 20s, you have an idea of how the world should be or how things should operate. And we have that surety to a point where we often believe that we're justified in trying to get the government to impose that on everybody else. Mm. And what I've had, I, I don't want to say I've come like a long way from that, but because I still have like very solid beliefs on how the world should be. Mm-hmm. But what I am very sure of now is that it's not anybody's place to try and get the, the government to at the you know end of a gun impose your beliefs on you know morality or whatever on anybody else. And so it's taken a, a, a shift, I would say. Yeah, I would say I would say learning that your way isn't the only way is a fundamental part of your 20s for sure. Right, right. <laughs> What's your favorite piece of advice you've ever received or like your go-to piece of advice that you'd like to give? So it's actually one that I got on the farm from my dad. And it was one of those things that he would say that, you know, he didn't even realize the, the greater implications of it. And I've shared it in some other places, but I remember, I, I won't go into the, the whole contract, but the, the basic piece of advice is that you can control for everything but the weather. And so growing up on a farm, that was a very fundamental thing. Like, you know, we go out, we lay, we plow the ground, we lay irrigation to kind of control this and da, da, da. But if a hurricane comes through, hailstorm comes through and, I, and I, that, that, all that kind of stuff happens, like there's nothing you can do about it. So the only thing that you can do about it is prepare for those un- unforeseen things and be ready to adapt. You know, 
Hailstorm comes in, knocks out the cabbage. Well, we, next day we go turn under the cabbage out in the field and we get ready to plant something else because all you can do is move on. And so that's been a huge lesson and you know, very valuable in this past year as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. Listen, dude, I'm going to link to all of your social media, your LinkedIn, your Instagram, your Facebook. This is your moment kind of promote, you know, whatever you're trying to promote or where do you want people to connect with you? What's your favorite place? Here's, you know, say whatever you want to say. right. Yeah. So, you know, all those places on social are, are great, you know, starting next week from the time this is recorded, March 1st, you know, we're going to be putting out a lot more content in various forms, but if anybody has those questions, like what it ultimately comes down to, like if they can use help on on really just answering questions that they have around their marketing strategy as a whole, or are they doing the right thing or somebody screwing them over, they can go to salespartnersflorida.com slash schedule. And there are two options there, but one is a, a free Q&A call. And like I said, you know, ultimately we're about adding value to as many businesses as we can so that they can continue to add value to, to their communities. And so anybody can book 30 minutes they want to get in, they've got a big question and however we can help them with that, that's a free service that we offer to the business community. And so that would be the kind of a, a first step. Cool, man. I'm going to take you up on one of those. Well, final question is where do you find community? So I find community in a lot of places, right? So, you know, church has always been big for, for us as we, I, I moved up to Orlando with my wife to support her in her career a few years ago. And we were fortunate to get plugged into a, a great church in our community, the one I mentioned before. So that's a, a big source of community for me. An organization called the Gentleman's Journal has a couple of chapters in Miami. I oh, am really? a member of one of the, the founding chapters there. And so that's my, my men's business group. You know, we have a lot of little subgroups on there. So like I've, I've made a bunch of money on cryptocurrency this year because of that community. Also that, that book club, I get to I'm a terrible golfer still. I, I measure my golf game by how many balls I lose. And so I'm, I'm down to less than a box around, but that's because of those guys that I've been able to, uh, to progress. And then, you know, you can find community wherever you want. You just have to go in and, and figure out how to serve first. So we moved up here. Our kids got in school. I'm on the board for the PTSA. I'm the chairman of our you know school advisory committee for, for my daughter's school. I, I'm the assistant den leader for my son's Cub Scout pack. And so, you know, finding community with all those dads and those moms and everybody that's coming together around those common shared interests and shared beliefs is it, it, it's, I won't say that it, it's easy. It doesn't just happen, but it's, it's like anything else. You have to plant those seeds and you have to constantly get out there and nurture those relationships. And when you do that, man, it just yields a lot of great fruit. Well, Thanks for making time for me, man. I really, really appreciate this. I look back at that Leadership Miami program and the outsized impact it's made on my life and the inordinate amount of influence that you had in making that what it was and, and kind of like shepherding us along. And I think I will forever owe you one, buddy. So I'm in your corner from here, you know, till, 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 till you ever need it and, and count on me as an ally, man. Really appreciate this time. Man, I really appreciate you having me on. And I, you know, like I said, when we get to all this content rolling for us and some of these things, I'm going to be, uh, be looking for you to come and share some of your tactical wisdom around all this content creation and delivery as well with the folks in my audience. So thank you. Appreciate it, man. Cool. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer 
and I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.